that we, through generations and generations of all humanity, have asked, what is the meaning of all of this? How can we figure it out? We're born, we live, we die, and all of the stuff that happens in between. And I wonder if we're asked the right question. Like, that's a really big question. The meaning of life. It's actually a a huge question. And I wonder if we're ever going to get to the answer. Because because as I was thinking through this, I mean, we, we can't even come up with the meaning of ticks. And we want to know what the meaning of life is. And in fact, there are even simpler questions that we can't seem to find the answer to. Why do we park in a driveway and drive on a parkway? There you go. Why, when you send something on a boat, it's called cargo, and when you send it in a truck, it's called a shipment? And so we have these questions that just linger in our cultural norm And we want to know the meaning of life. Really? We want the answer. Now the writer of Ecclesiastes, this teacher, he wants to know the answer too. He is asking the hard questions. He wants to come to an understanding of what it all means. Everything. The entire universe. How everything is working. And what we're doing is we're kind of entering into his journey with him so that hopefully that we can come to a place of understanding what life is. That life won't just stay in this this abstract place. And so we're going to join him still in chapter 1 of Ecclesiastes 1, 12 through 18. This is this, I the preacher have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. And I set my mind to seek and explore by wisdom concerning all that has been done under, the, under heaven. It is a grievous task which God has given to the sons of men to be afflicted with. I have seen all the works which have been done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, behold, I have magnified and increased wisdom more than all who are over Jerusalem before me, And my mind has observed a wealth of wisdom and knowledge. And I have set my mind to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I realize that this also is a striving after wind. Because in much wisdom there is much grief. And increasing knowledge results in increasing pain. So he comes out, the preacher, the teacher. He's been king, has been king over Jerusalem he seems to be doing this for a while now. He's writing from a place of, ex- of having experienced much and understanding much and has seen and talked. And, and he's just, I, I imagine right now he's got gray hair and a, and a full gray beard. And, and as you read kind of through this, I, I will say this, it doesn't sound all that encouraging to me. And in fact, it's not supposed to sound encouraging because remember, he's kind of pulling us into what he wants us to understand and what he wants us to, to hear. And then in verse 13, he says, and I set my mind to seek and explore by wisdom concerning all that has been done under the sun. He is on a personal quest for wisdom and knowledge and understanding. And he's asking questions. He's asking difficult questions. And we know many uh, biblical scholars will say this is the journey, this is the writings of King Solomon. And we, we kind of understand that because King Solomon, back in um, 1 Kings, 
we know that God was really happy with the guy. And he said, you know, Solomon, I'm really happy with you, guy. And I'm going to give you anything you ask for. And so Solomon thinks, and instead of for going for, for money and, and, and fame and fortune, he said, God, can you give me wisdom so I can lead and rule your people well? And God's like, that's a good thing to ask for, Solomon. In fact, there is going to be no king that's going to be greater than you ever. And so Solomon gets the wisdom and he gets the money. And so he has the wisdom and he is rich beyond what anyone can ever imagine. But here's the thing, and this is where I think we kind of go wrong a little bit. He didn't just instantly know everything, like, boom, oh, I'm just like, I know, and I'm really smart. But the scripture says that he was in pursuit of wisdom and knowledge and understanding. So God gave him a mind and a brain that can press in and begin to understand. Solomon was a devout learner of life in the human, condi the human condition. And it says that he set his mind to seek and explore. And some translation says it set his heart. But what, we, what he's getting to is I, he's, he's devoted everything he is to trying to figure out the meaning of life. What's it all about? He was very disciplined on this journey. Nothing was going to stop him. He was studying, he was exploring, he was diligent. He wants to get it all, not just a part of it, but he wants, to, he wants to understand the entire human condition. Why do we go through the things that we go through in this life? What does it all mean as we go through certain things in this life? So he wants to know all of it because he wants to come to the end of his reign and he wants to make some conclusions, He's a preacher, he's a teacher, he's the king, and he wants people to understand. And so he's not gonna just go for some half-baked answer. He wants to gather all the data, and then he will create his thesis, his conclusion. And so we have this king. He's got more money than he knows what to do with, and he's not just living large and kicking back, but he's engaging his God-given talents of understanding, knowledge, and wisdom to find out what it all means. But the wisdom that he's pursuing, it's not, it's not divine wisdom. It's not God wisdom. It's not the revelation that God would have for him. It is based upon solely on human experience. It is human wisdom by human standards. The preacher is looking for the very best that humanity has ever taught or spoken or thought. He wants to learn as much as he can about the world and understand as much as he can about the worlds without any divine intervention from God. Which it really isn't, I mean, it's not such a bad idea to understand the world, the basics, the fundamentals. I mean, truth is truth. God's truth is God's truth. It will always be truth. It's his grace toward us. Some theologians call it a common grace, that we can find truth in wisdom and knowledge in, in, um, in other faiths, in self-help books, even watching Oprah. There could be a little nugget of truth in there somewhere. And if it's true, then it's God's truth. If an atheist loves the way that Corinthians talks about love, patience and kindness and not boasting and not being self-seeking, then it, can, it cannot be anything else but God's truth, no matter what that atheist believes. It's God's truth. And so we can kind of glean from the world some 
truths, some understanding. But see, the question for us in the church is, is this pursuit leading us to a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ? Is this pursuit leading us in the direction of eternal life? Is this pursuit helping us understand why in God's, from God's viewpoint, everything matters? It all matters. And so what does he discover? He's kind of pressing in and he's looking into this. And what does he discover? I'm going to start in, again in verse 13. And I set my mind to seek and explore by wisdom concerning all that has been done under heaven is a grievous task which God has given to the sons of men to be afflicted with. I have seen all the works which have been done under the sun and behold, all is vanity and striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened and what is lacking cannot be counted. So he has looked, he has studied, he's trying to figure it out. And what does he come up with? Well, from an earthly perspective, from a humanistic perspective, it's all meaningless. It just, it just really doesn't matter. He's describing here his own, his own unhappiness, his own feelings of emptiness, his frustrations of and in the world. He's kind of pressed into this from a very humanistic perspective of trying to understand everything. And he's like, it, it's, it just doesn't matter. Kind of a, a doom and gloom message. Look at uh, the last half of verse 13. It is a grievous task which God has given to the sons of men to be afflicted with. Yeah, happy Sunday morning, huh? Sooner or later, we will all feel the burdens of life. The weight of things that are upon us, that are coming down the pike, you know, the, 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 the bills are piling up, relationships are falling apart, the kids just aren't listening, people have made accusations against you, work is horrible, unkind comments, life can get very, very, very weighty. And some of you have, have, have experienced things even beyond that, that feel almost crushing. But the teacher, the preacher is pushing this just a little bit further. And when he, when he talks about this idea of this grievous task, in, in, this, in the original language this was written in, it means that it's, it's like this bad, evil thing that God has given us. And so he's not describing the emotional weight of living life. What he's saying is, you know, fundamentally life is just evil and broken. And God has kind of stuck us here in it. Now, there's two different ways to take what he's trying to get at. First, the heavy burden or this grievous task he's talking about could have to do with what we have to contend with every day, all the things that we need to do, which is true. Just think about for a minute your job. Not many people are blessed in a job that they love. They just get up out of bed every morning and go, I'm going to work. Today's a good day. I mean, you like your job and I understand that, but, but work is... is toiling under the sun. It's exactly what God said it would be in Genesis. Ah, by the sweat of your brow, you're gonna earn your living. Mm-hmm. And so we experience that. And so whether it's your job or at home or ministry or school, it's very tempting to be disillusioned and step back and go, what does this all matter anyway? Why am I even engaging in this? And so that's one way to look at it. The other way to look at it is this. 
This grievous task that God has given, afflicted us with, is the quest to understand the meaning of life. As you look out the fishbowl and see your friend served up on, your buddy, on, your, on the human's platter, you go, what's the meaning of it all? And I, and I know that some people, they don't even really think about that. And I wonder, I wonder if that's why some people are so happy, because they just don't worry about it. Like, I, you know, I don't care what the meaning of life is, I just want another beer. And, and that's the way they live their life. But many people kind of wrestle with, oh, what, what is, why is, what can we do? And the harder the preacher looks for answers, the longer he tries to get to that place of understanding all of this, the more of a burden it became for him. You know, sometimes the more we know equates to even being more frustrated with life because we ask a question and we get an answer. We ask a question and we get an answer. We ask a question and uh-oh, that's the question that doesn't seem to have an answer. And we just stay in the question for a while and it's uncomfortable and it feels, it feels unfinished. If you look at the book of Ecclesiastes in its entirety, it almost feels like the preacher, he, it, he feels it's his job to figure all this out. It feels like it's his God-given mandate. God has given him this mind and this heart to pursue wisdom, and he decides he's going to do that, and, and he feels like this is what God has called me to do. He wants to know the meaning of it. And, and for many of us, we want to know the meaning of it, whatever it is, whatever we're experiencing. And that transcends just cultures and societies and, and religions. You don't even have to believe in God. And for many people, they still want to have meaning in their life. They just don't want to think they're going through the motions and at the end, there's just a big stamp that comes down and then you're gone. I want to leave something behind, a legacy behind. And so we press in and try to just figure this thing out. This is what the preacher is doing, but he's doing it from a, a humanistic perspective. Verse 14, he said, I have, seen all which, I have seen all the works which have been done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and striving after wind. It would seem that he's made some pretty extensive research. He has seen everything that's been done under the sun. All of the works of people. He's gone out. He's had the conversations. He's trying to figure it out. All of what people are doing on this earth, under the sun, from an earthly perspective, he says, you know, it's like, it's like chasing after wind. And let me just tell you this. If, you need to ch if you're going to chase after wind, you better be in good shape because you're going to be running for a really long time because it's really hard to catch wind. Just think, when you leave here this morning and you feel the breeze as you're walking through your car, try to grab a hold of it and hold on to it and see how you do. And this is what he is, this is what he's describing, this is what he's comparing life to and everything that we do. It's like, it's like chasing after wind. It's like, it's like hurting cats. It just doesn't work. To try to understand life without God from a purely humanistic perspective, this, this under the sun perspective is like chasing after wind. You're just never gonna get it. You're never gonna get there. He's looked, he's seen, he's observed, he's had the conversation and it seems to look pretty bleak. And so he takes all of this in, this years and years of experience and he writes this profound statement in verse 15. What is crooked cannot be straightened and what is lacking cannot be counted. 
You know, if we can't understand the meaning of life, guess what? We still have to live it. And we live and we move and we breathe. And some things in our life are crooked. Not like you're a criminal crooked, but like things are bent and they're out of shape and they just don't feel right. They just don't fit right. You're just not going, it just feels like you're going through the motions and you're just bumping and bruising yourself as you continue on. And some things that are broken and bent and crooked, we just can't seem to straighten them out. You don't believe me? Watch the news. Watch the news for 10 minutes, the first 10 minutes, and tell me that the more things change, the more they just stay the same. The world has always been in turmoil. It doesn't matter if there's an elephant or a donkey in office. It all stays the same. The arguments are all the same. It's broken, it's crooked, and it's bent. And then from a very personal level, there's things in our own lives we wish we can straighten out, right? Arguments that we wish we could take back, financial troubles that we wish that could just, just be fixed, sickness and, and relationships broken, and even when we lose loved ones, we just wish we could have them back. This, this, these bent and crooked things we can't seem to straighten out. And the teacher says, yeah, some of them, the preacher, you're never gonna straighten them out, especially the ones that God has ordained to be crooked. We're gonna look at that in chapter seven when he says that. Some of our circumstances in our lives will never be made straight. They will always be, in some context, crooked. What is crooked cannot be straightened, and what is lacking cannot be counted. You can't count things that aren't there. We can't materialize stuff and just have it create something out of nothing like God has done. But he's pushing things even deeper. Like, like, we don't even know what's really missing. And so how can we ask the question of what's missing? We, we have no idea what else there is in some areas of life and living. But the point is, what he is saying is life just doesn't seem to add up. Like you go through all of the calculations and you go through all of the, the stuff and it just, it just doesn't seem to add up and it's like we can't fix the things that we want to fix. The people just don't get it and they won't listen to me and I can't fix them. My boss just doesn't listen to me and I can't fix them. This thing in my lone life, I can't seem to get a hold of. I can't fix. It's like a, it's like a checkbook that won't balance. And you go through and you're only off by a little and you're frustrated and you're banging your head on the ground and you're going, okay, what's going on? How come this won't balance? And so what do you do? You add a few cents over there. You take a few cents. Oh, now it balances. But really all you've done is fudge the numbers. And that's what life feels like sometimes. Like we're just fudging the numbers. Human wisdom has failed the preacher in his pursuits of finding meaning and understanding in life. But he's going to press on. He's not giving up. He says this, Behold, I have magnified and increased wisdom more than all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my mind has observed a wealth of wisdom and knowledge. And I set my mind to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I realize that this also is striving after wind. 
Because in much wisdom, there's much grief and increasing knowledge results in increasing pain. So he has a little heart to heart with himself. He says, you know, you got it going on, Solly. You're pretty smart. You got lots of wisdom. Nobody, nobody can come near you. God has given you this. No one before you, no one after you is even gonna come close. But you still haven't figured it out. Okay, Mr. Wise Man, you still haven't figured out what the meaning of it all is. And so what he is going to kind of press into, he goes, okay, I've, I've looked at it from a very academic, scientific perspective. I've gone out, I've kind of looked over things, I've had conversations, I've observed people. Now I'm going to just try a little old-fashioned debauchery, and let's see how that plays itself out. And I set my mind to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. Madness and folly. Now, he's not talking about he's just going to go insane, but madness and folly, if I could use a term that might be used today, he just wants to let things get off the hook a little bit. And he's just going to move in directions that maybe he should not move in. He wants to take, he wants to go, okay, here's what's right and here's what's wrong. And knowing what's right and what's wrong, does this give any indication of helping me understand what the meaning of life is? He wants to experience all of these things to come to the place of going, do I now, from this earthly, humanistic wisdom perspective, do I now understand the meaning of life. And so he is probably more versed in folly than anybody really should be. The scripture tell us, tells us that he loved many foreign women. In fact, Solomon is known to have 700 wives, 300 concubines, and sadly, sadly, Concubines were women that were owned by the king that he could do whatever he wanted with. And so he just unhumanized them and just used them as his property. And he experiences all of these things, this madness and this folly. And what did he learn? Did the knowledge of right and wrong, did the knowledge of experience the darker side of life help him find meaning? No, it says it's just like chasing after the wind. It just, it's like herding cats. And so he comes to this conclusion in verse 18. Because in much wisdom, there's much grief and increasing knowledge results in increasing pain. See, instead of helping him understand life, the more knowledge you have, the more sorrow you may experience. Knowledge, more knowledge, brings to light all of these things that you may not want to know that you may not want to figure out. It could, it could uh, bring to the forefront of your understanding the frailty of the human condition. You begin to understand and see the world and just how broken it really is. The more knowledge you have can bring you to a place of just sorrow and frustration. It's very interesting to me that children... When they're children, they want to grow up and they want to be adults and they want to take part in those adult conversations. What'd you say? What'd you say? Well, I want to know. What'd you say? And then as they get to be adults, you have those moments where you just want to go back to the simplicity of being a kid again. And so all of this just kind of melts away. So I hope that you're feeling a little uncomfortable 
Because again, that's exactly what the preacher wants us to feel. He wants us, he wants us to get drawn in to his investigation. He wants us to get drawn into to what he believes is very important for us to understand. And see, everything he speaks of here is from a purely humanistic perspective. He, he never sought after God. He never went and prayed. He never asked God to reveal to him with a divine sacred wisdom the answers that he was looking for. He never stopped to consider the ways of the Lord. He never, at this point, he did not go to the author of life and ask the author of life what is the meaning of life. He is trying to figure this all out on his own. And church, I'm telling you, if we tackle life that way, from a very pure human perspective, we will end up being frustrated. And it will not make sense. You can study all of the philosophy, all of the theology. Again, watch, watch Oprah and Montel, reruns on Netflix. And if you just come at it from an earthly perspective, you will be frustrated and life will not make sense. Human wisdom can only take us so far, and it's not very far at that. But God says this. He says, don't, don't boast in your wisdom. God says, boast only in your knowledge of him. Look at, look at what Jeremiah wrote. Thus says the Lord, let not a wise man boast of his wisdom, and let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not a rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises love and kindness, justice and righteousness on earth, for I delight in these things, declares the Lord. God says, you know what? You think you're smart, you're not. Don't boast in it. You think you've got wisdom? Yeah, you're not. You don't. Don't boast in it. You think you're so strong, really? No, you're not. Don't boast in it. What you should boast in that you know me. What you should boast in that you have a desire to know me. That you are intimate with me. This is what God tells us to boast in. And then Paul pushes it a little bit further in the New Testament when he writes to the, the church in Corinth. He says, for it is written, I will destroy. These are the words of God taken from Isaiah. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. I will destroy the wisdom of those people who think they're wise. Oh, and those people who think they're smart, those people who think they've outsmarted me, yeah, not so much. I got something for them too. Don't boast in who we are. Boast in God and who God is for us. This is what the scripture invites us to. This, this book and these, these pages, this is the word of God. Do you believe that? Do, do you believe it? Because the book of Ecclesiastes, God has ordained throughout the centuries to be part of our canon of scripture and to teach us. And what God is getting at it, he is crushing the pretentiousness of humanity and the wisdom that we think we can just build up and hold on to ourselves. Crushing it, going, you know what? It all doesn't matter if you don't got me. Good luck. Have at it, give it a try, it's gonna fail. But he doesn't leave us desperate and empty. 
In fact, he comes to us. He comes to us in the meaninglessness to bring us meaning. He comes to us in Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. In that same chapter in 1 Corinthians chapter one, uh, Paul writes that Jesus is the wisdom of God. Jesus is God's wisdom revealed. He has entered into all of the frustration, all of the brokenness, all of the crookedness, all of the things that we just can't figure out on our own. And he said, no, 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 see, you're going at it all wrong. I'm God's wisdom. Follow me, come to me when you're weary and burdened and I'm gonna give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me. This is the way life is. This is the way life should be lived. See, the way of Jesus is a way of faith. Trusting God at his word in the no matter what's of life. The way of Jesus is a way of hope that we're gonna trust God for our future, no matter how bleak or challenging it looks. The way of faith, or the way of Jesus is a way of love that we no longer live for ourselves, but we live for others. See, following God through, through Jesus, his wisdom, it empowers us not to have to go and try to straighten everything that's crooked, but it gives us the grace to live in the crookedness and live well and survive and thrive in the crookedness. I, I think of Jesus. He, he's going to the cross. He's in the garden. He's praying, Father, please, if there's another way to do this, take this cup from me, but not my will, but yours. Jesus trusted God in the crooked path of the cross to him, for him. And when we follow the wisdom of God in Christ, life begins to add up. It's not gonna be completely balanced. It's not gonna be, on this side of eternity, we're never gonna have all the answers. We're never gonna have the full picture, but it begins to become balanced. And one day, one day Jesus will return and he will balance the books and they will be completely, there's no fudging of the numbers when Christ returns. It is going to be made in perfection. And we will be with him and we will know everlasting joy. Why? Because his kingdom will have no end. It's our human nature to try to go about it and do it ourselves, figure it out ourselves. And some of you are just in that right now, trying to figure it out yourself, trying to do it yourself, trying to find what's going on, what's wrong. I wanna encourage you to go to the wisdom of God who is Jesus Christ and allow him, allow him to show you, reveal to you. Don't try to figure it out on yourself because the best you will do is mess it up. But with the wisdom of God, you got a chance. You got a chance. Lord, thank you for your word and that you've caused it to be written. And I pray that we would press into the wisdom of the Father in Jesus Christ. May we give up the lie that we got this and we can do it ourselves and rejoice that we have a God who is, walks with us, talks with us, and loves us beyond what we could ever imagine. And pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.